Welcome to the first episode of The Long Game with LZ and Leach from the Recounted Acast, the show where sports, business, politics, and culture all collide. I'm your boy, LZ Granderson. And I'm Will Leach. Happy first show, LZ. Happy first show, Will. And man, do we have a full slate. Oh, we have so much to get to. As always, I feel like we're always going to have so much to get to. So we have three stories that have cut across this world of sports and crashed dangerously into the realm of politics and culture. And the first is the chop. Oh, yes, I was in Smyrna, Georgia all weekend. And boy, were they chopping louder than ever. We're going to discuss why the chop is still happening, what's wrong with it, what they might do about it, and why it's stronger than it's ever been. Speaking of the chop... Obviously, everyone knows that the former president and the first lady were all there chopping away just as happily. But you know who wasn't there or doesn't seem to be anywhere in sports? Joe Biden, which is really weird, considering how important athletes were for him to get in the White House to begin with. So we're going to ask the question, is he blowing it? He certainly was not chopping. I will definitely say that. And the third story, we're going to discuss the Chicago Blackhawks sexual assault scandal. Not so much the details of the case, which are horrifying, but more about how you react to it as a fan. Where do fans draw that line between fandom and morality when their favorite team is covering up and perhaps even condoning horrific criminal acts? And what would undoubtedly be your favorite segment of the podcast every week, This Week in Sports History? Kobe Bryant made his debut November 3rd, 1996, 25 years ago. The great Kobe Bryant touched an NBA court. My question is, is his class, the class of 1996, more impactful than that great class of 1984 with his idol, Michael Jordan? We'll discuss. You know, I can't answer now because we're doing the intro, but I have thoughts. Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. We'll finish off, as always, with LZ and Leach's Games of the Week. We'll talk about the game that we are most looking forward because we are sports fans, first and foremost. However, speaking of which... What is your sports mood at the current moment? Bruh, I'm so broken right now. I'm so broken because I went to the basketball court and I played outside for the first time, basically since the pandemic shut everything down. So for the first time I played outside and my knees are still at the park. (laughs) They did not come home with me. (laughs) Oh, you were actually trying? I think you're supposed to relax the first time. You know, I always try, (laughs) but that the sound of the ball hitting the court just click something in my head and the yeah. competitive spirit and juices in me just erupt and I can't control them. That was really sexual, by the way. <laughs> right. That's okay. That's, listen, we are setting a tone uh, that clearly people will respond to. <laughs> uh, and my sports mood is also about physical ailments. I ran a half marathon a week and a half ago now and 30% of my toes are black. <laughs> 30% of my toes. I'm told that means your toenail's about to fall off. I got to tell you, speaking of keeping the sexual tone of the, con- of the podcast going, <laughs> let's talk about my toenails falling off. Uh, oh, yeah, I bet boy. the missus love that. <laughs> we're going to go off for a commercial break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about the Atlanta, I'm sorry, the Cobb County Braves and that racist gesture, the chop. We'll be back after this quick break. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And we are back. We are discussing the World Series now. We're going to be up front with you here. Uh, you may have a better idea who won the World Series than we do. We tape on Tuesday afternoons. The Astros did us no favors by winning Game 5 of the World Series and extending it back to Enron Field in Houston. And that is how it should be called forever. 
So we don't know who won. Once but again, Will, the Houston Astros comes in and screws things up. It's, it's kind of their habit. It's kind of their thing. It's kind of but, what they do. Uh, certainly the Braves did their part too, because I think one of the major takeaways from the weekend, I was there uh, at Truist Park throughout the weekend. This was the weekend of the chop. I don't think there's really any question about that. The chop was louder than ever. There was a time the chop appeared in danger. Now it is back and stronger than it's probably ever been. So we're going to talk about why it's stronger than ever, the history of what got us to this point, and maybe where this goes from here. For a long time, the Braves have been very kind of hesitant about prompting it. I've been a lot of games this year and even last year, and they've been very hesitant about prompting it ever since they had the issue with Cardinals pitcher Ryan Helsley in the 2019 NLDS. He is a, a member of Cherokee Nation, and he had said he did not feel the chop was respectful. He, he felt they shouldn't do it. And the Braves were actually going to hand out those red tomahawks for that game and decided not to and said they would reevaluate. Then the pandemic happened. There were no fans. This year, they had kind of pumped the brakes on a little bit while still not discouraging it, but guess what happened? Fans were like, no, you're not taking our chop away. And it's become like a defiant sort of thing to see the chop. And I think we clearly saw that this weekend where now the Braves have steered into that curve and they were prompting it all weekend. What did you feel, LZ, about the chop being such a prominent part of the World Series this weekend and why it seems to be stronger than it's ever been? Well, it's par for the course, right, Will? I mean, when you look at the way that sports, unfortunately, has been dragged into this very, very partisan sort of culture that we have going on right now, it doesn't surprise me at all that you have predominantly white residents of a suburban area deciding to participate in this racist sort of (laughs) tradition, not necessarily because they're thinking about Native Americans or the plight of Native Americans or even the racism that's tied to the gesture, but because they're pledging their allegiance to the anti-PC, anti-woke contingency of the country. You know, it was a political gesture. I didn't even think they even cared if the Braves were even winning or losing while they were chopping. All they wanted to do is say, Joe Biden, fuck you. You're not going to stop me from exercising my American right to do this racist gesture. That's what I think. I wouldn't say that everyone at Truist Park was doing it for that reason, but I do think that's you did why. It for different reasons? Well, I, th- I think, listen, <laughs> I live in Georgia. People have been doing the chop for, okay, well, actually 30 years, <laughs> not, not 50 years. <laughs> Let's not forget how this started, right? This was a Deion Sanders thing. This was from like 1991 when he played for the Braves. The organist kind of like jokingly played the Florida State chop song and it became like a thing. However, I think that's what's gotten it back going again is the idea that once they were told, wait, we don't think you should do that anymore. I think that's what gave it a renewed vigor. I don't think there's any question about that. And I think you've touched on something important there, which is remembering where the Braves play. They do not play in Atlanta. I feel like this is an important thing to remind everyone. Whenever I was writing about this during the All-Star Game, they did not pull the All-Star Game from Atlanta. They pulled the All-Star Game from Georgia. Because, of course, for Turner Field, which was built for... The 1996 Olympics, it was in downtown. It was a little off downtown, but it's certainly in a primarily black area of town. And I think that it did well and it thrived for a long time. What the Braves decided with kind of their ownership group, with their, which is this kind of corporate ownership group anyway, they decided, you know what? There are more white baseball fans in Cobb County. They actually claimed, this is my favorite part about it, they claimed that parking and mass transit would be better in Cobb County than it was in downtown. Such a lie! I'm like, by definition, the whole mass transit thing is, that's what Cobb County's famous for, is not wanting mass transit in any way, shape, or form. And so it is really remarkable to see, because I think if you look at downtown Atlanta, like it's something that Atlanta United has very much embraced. The Falcons, the Hawks, the Dream have all really embraced down there. The Braves have consciously rejected that and I think that's what's led to not just the chop because I don't think everyone is actively doing the chop to stick it to the libs I think people you don't I don't think everyone is. I think a lot of people are not being thoughtful about it, and they've done it because they were a kid, and they generally are in a situation where their their views are not being challenged very often. They're probably just chopping because they've always chopped. But I do think the reason it has gotten stronger and the reason it's probably more entrenched is for that reason, because people did not want to be told what to do, and they're in a part of – I wouldn't say town, but a part of Georgia where uh, that's probably the political modus operandi. I mean, listen – I hear what you're saying, and sure, maybe there are people who always chopped and never thought twice about where it originated from or who it may or may not impact or offend. Sure, there might be a handful of people like that, just like there were a handful of people who used to continue to wear the Washington football team's previous logo 
and treated the Native American people as mascots and didn't think twice about it. And it wasn't necessarily political for them as much as it was just ignorant or belligerent, possibly. But it just feels to me that when you add in the fact that Georgia was so hotly contested Mm -hmm. during the 2020 election and that so much information in terms of identity politics were were out there to be disseminated, whether it's coming from the right media or the left media, a lot of discussion about identity politics were in the fold. It just feels to me that this was a defiant pro-Trump sort of gesture, that we are supporting our former president, we are supporting his policies and beliefs. Hmm. We are excited that he's here chopping with us. We are support of elected officials who are trying to address voter fraud or what we perceive to be voter fraud. We are supporting all the elected officials who support Trump, all businesses that support Trump, everything that seems to be aligned with Trump's policies and philosophies and rhetoric. And so we're chopping under the banner of Trumpism and not even in celebration of the Braves accomplishment. That's what it felt like for me from a distance and having lived in Atlanta, Atlanta proper, not the Smyrna and covered politics and covered sports for the Atlanta journal constitution and been the recipient of numerous of, you know, very racist uh, letters. Thank you very much. Writers. (laughs) It doesn't feel like to me, this is altogether innocent. I really feel as if this was the equivalent of, you know, good luck, Brandon. (laughs) <laughs> let's go, Brandon, is what it is. Right, let's, let's go, go good luck, fuck off, whatever. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Listen, to be very clear, I definitely am not claiming it's altogether innocent. The political climate in Georgia, we talk about 2020. I mean, this is, Georgia is the story. It's the story in 2021. Absolutely. It's going to be the story in 2022. Clearly, it's very activated. I would say this. I think the reason that it is louder than ever is because of a backlash to these things. It reminds me a little bit, remember it was about two years ago, two or three years ago, Carmelo Anthony went on Twitter and said that there were seven Native American names that they were targeting. Once they got rid of the Washington football team, he crossed out that name and said, okay, what's next? And on that word, like the Blackhawks, even the Warriors were on there. At the time, I thought, this feels like a movement that like, this may happen. Like five years ago, I'd have thought, okay, they're not going to get all those names off that list. And it started to feel like that was the direction it was kind of going. And I think what you're seeing with this, it's really an offshoot of what you hear all the time. Anyway, listen, in that Braves-Dodgers series, all I heard from Braves fans were not, yay, our team is winning. We're so happy. It was a, why is the media hyping up the Dodgers all the time? They don't care about us. They just care about those West Coast and East Coast teams. Are you kidding are you kidding? You had three of the greatest pitchers of all time on your roster all at the same time. You got one World Series. That's why we don't talk about you, because you're jokers and you blew it. <laughs> okay. See, that, to be clear, you're talking to a Cardinals fan here. I, I'm rooting for the Astros. <laughs> Screw the Braves. Uh, but, but more, Are you? I am. I am. Well, we don't want to get into that. But I would uh, say, in a larger sense, I do think that this is an example of how sports and politics have become very similar in a circle the wagons type mentality. And yeah. the idea it is us against them. This is been a complaint for a long time with the idea in sports that in the idea of politics that politics has become more like sports i find it interesting that sports is actually becoming a little bit more like politics i think what you're seeing particularly when we've seen people specifically trump weaponize sports culture and the and the, kind of the fights you can have with that these things get merged and it turns into I'm not just rooting for the Braves, as you're talking about. I'm rooting for me wanting to do what I want and you trying to stop me from doing it. I think that Absolutely. I think it's partly a support for either Trump or the idea of anti-political correctness or whatever thing you want to th- – there's idea. But I think there is inherently a factor of you're not going to take this away from me and I will fight for the fact that I like it, even if you think it's wrong, even if part of me knows maybe it's wrong. I, I think that's where the most momentum switched where two years ago or three years ago, Carmelo could put that up and there was a big charge and the guardians were moving and it feels now there's a big, larger pushback against that. And I think you're seeing that kind of shown in Smyrna this weekend. You're definitely are seeing that though. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can be, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And what I want to do is own the libs. Like I think they're, I think they can be one in the same and owning the libs trumps everything, no pun intended, or maybe I didn't mean a pun, I don't know. But owning the libs seems to be motivating a lot of what you're seeing out of the right side of our political spectrum right now. No question. And 
obviously when you look at the events of January 6th, you can understand why I say that, right? The reaction to it seems to be more concerned about protecting the person who inspired it as opposed to protecting democracy, which apparently we're all supposed to be, I don't know, kind of rally under that banner of democracy and USA and all that, you know, the hell with that. Let's just own the libs and the Brandon thing, which is sort of the right wing version of Karen, right? <laughs> Karen represented, you know, this certain sort of white privilege, usually embodied by a woman and Karen's just a name that was picked. So we all have our names. <laughs> now we've all chosen our sides and now we're just trying to own each other. And it's, it seems to be, taken away from what should be a joyous occasion in the World Series, which is this historic franchise having an opportunity to win its first World Series since the mid-90s, or the great Dusty Baker, you know, the longtime manager, the fantastic player, finally getting over the hump and removing his name from the list of all-time great managers without a championship. We should be talking about those things, but instead, well, the libs are being owned in one city and, you know, Joe Biden is nowhere to be found in any of the stadiums in any city. I, you know, it's fine. I wrote a piece for New York Magazine a couple weeks ago calling this the aggrieved World Series. And I think it, like, it's inevitable, right? Like you've got the Braves, Braves fans on one side saying, you're not taking the chop away from us. We care about the chop. And remember, it was close. I'm telling you it was close. I was at that game five after Ryan Helsley made his comments and there was no chopping. A couple people tried, but mm -hmm. the stadium was not blasting out. They do a whistle. There's a whistle they do that starts the chop. And they didn't do the video. They didn't do the whistle. They didn't do any of that. And it helped that the Cardinals scored 10 runs in the first inning so there was not a lot of chopping going on anyway but like right. there was I was I have been at a Braves game very recently where there was no chop the chop is louder now than ever I think in response to that and I think the other side is the Astros idea which is the notion that like all their fans are so under siege after three years of having everybody hate them so much justifiably or unjustifiably probably mostly justifiably definitely justified but certainly they now are becoming like a lot of sports fans where they're like, okay, I can say that's bad things about my team, but you can't say bad things about my team. <laughs> so therefore the Astros fans are angry at everyone for being after them all the time. And Braves fans are trying to protect the chop and we're sick of you coming after us. I just hope someone remembers that like, it's okay to be happy when your team wins. <laughs> it is okay to be happy when our team wins. We're forgetting this stuff, aren't we? Yeah. There's like so we're, yeah. We're legitimately forgetting the purpose of sports. This is kind of a, one of the large things about what we're always going to be talking about around here, which is the idea, it is impossible to separate these things. It is impossible to separate the cheers and the chop and the fact that the Braves play in Cobb County rather than in downtown Atlanta. These things are inextricable from politics. And I feel like the people that are making it most political are the ones yelling at me to stop making it so political, <laughs> which is a kind of disingenuous move that I guess you see in all of political culture right now. Mm -hmm. So now what? happens we've had we've seen the world series does this become bigger next year is this, is this a fight we're still having a year from now what do you think that's a great question a lot of it has to do with what major league baseball want to be known for you know there are things that the league could do well in terms of imposing you know rules that says anyone who is seen doing this racist response would get their tickets revoked of course that requires the braves to do some policing which you know I wouldn't want to be in charge of trying to tell drunk people not to do certain <laughs> things like that. If I was an usher getting paid minimum wage, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't <laughs> want to put myself in that position. Yeah. So I don't know how you enforce it. It seems like just as it naturally will started, you know, re-upping itself without much prompting from the league, it seems as if it's going to have to dissipate in the same way. You know, on one level, you would think baseball could do something in a similar way than you've seen like soccer leagues, for example, like when when you've seen homophobic chants, teams have been penalized or like they've had to play a game without fans. The question is whether Major League Baseball really wants to do that or has kind of the courage to do that, particularly in the wake of the All-Star game, which they've done nothing but kind of gotten yelled at since. I feel it's instructive. I went to the University of Illinois and they had Chief Illini Wick, which was always this like blonde haired, blue eyed frat guy who put on a little feather hat and went woo woo and danced at halftime. And the NCAA forced the University of Illinois, said you will not be hosting any more events until you get rid of the chief. That happened about 20 years ago. It's been 20 years. There are students at that university who were not born when Chief Illiniwick was around wearing save the chief, bring back the chief. <laughs> I, I think there's a danger of turning it into a martyr sort of thing to where they actually hang on to it even tighter. 
you know what's so funny to my holding on to things? I mean, remember back in the 60s, as black people began to get more and more equality, you saw a rise in the celebration of the Confederacy and the Confederate flag. So it had basically sort of dissipated into, you know, to nothingness. Right. And then black people start to get free again. It was like, oh, no, go yeah. dust off that flag. Let's get back out there and let them know we're still here. That's what a chop feels like a little bit. Yeah, making it makes me wonder whether these things ever really dissipated at all. All right, moving on. We all saw Donald Trump chopping at the World Series, and he's also been to a number of other sporting events since he's left the White House. However, Joe Biden, the man who defeated him in 2020, hasn't attended a single athletic event as Commander-in-Chief. Why does this matter? Because there's a good chance he would not be Commander-in-Chief had it not been for the athletes whose games he's not attending. The WNBA endorsed him. They also helped secure the Senate, if you consider the way that the Atlanta Dream got behind Senator Warnock and endorsing him, but also LeBron James and it's more than a vote initiative, being really, really proactive in terms of getting black people in particular to register to vote and to vote, wink, wink, for anybody, but we all know he really meant Joe Biden. <laughs> Will, my question to you is, do you believe President Biden is blowing in a little bit by not attending sporting events and showing support for people who supported him during the 2020 campaign. I want to give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening. And I do think that like... Uh, he's president. There's always things going on agreed, with the president. Agreed, agreed. But there's a lot to fix after the last four years. I'll say that. But... The sports world came out huge for him, whether it was more than a vote, whether it was the WNBA. You can make an argument that Biden might not have been elected had it not been for a pretty unprecedented support from the sports world. Now, I think a lot of that support was less we love Joe Biden and more we hate Donald Trump. But that doesn't matter once you're in the White House. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it makes me wonder how actually he cared about in the first place and opportunities that he might be missing now. You know. For a president that's been somewhat under fire because a lot of um, people, you know, particularly black activists, feel as if he's left the black agenda by the wayside to do other things, even though the black community were very instrumental in getting him elected, certainly through the primary. And to your point, Will, when you think about the NBA and the WNBA specifically, those are a lot of black athletes who worked really hard to get him in the White House. And in some ways, him not being at these games is sort of consistent with him not satisfying the complaints of a lot of black activists, which is, why haven't there been any movement with police reform? Why aren't you getting rid of the filibuster so you can push through protecting voter rights? Like, these are concerns that a lot of black people have. And so his absence from, like, being on the court side for an NBA game kind of seems to be fairly consistent with that. No question. There's a little frustration to see. Again, I live in Georgia. I've seen these laws passed and there's a lot of frustration, a lot of anger about it. And it feels like Donald Trump is taking advantage of that opportunity and mobilizing people in that regard more than Joe Biden. He's really Biden. good at that. Yeah, he is. He's he is really, definitely good. really good of saying tapping into people's fears and anger. Trump had a long history with sports. He knows how to rile people yep. up on this stuff. I do think part of Biden's thing with this, I think temperamentally, listen, what was a large part of the thing that he was kind of selling when he was running? I'm going to get things back to normal. Now, we can all argue what normal is and, and what that means, but certainly part of what Joe Biden would consider normal would be, okay, listen, for four years – Athletes were so repulsed by Trump, they wouldn't go to the White House or or the Red Sox had only the white players that went to the White House. And, you know, LeBron called the president, you bum and and defended Steph Curry when they didn't go. Like it was this big tumultuous thing. And Trump was saying they were dragged the sons of bitches off the field, all of this stuff going on. I do think Biden, he's like, you know what? We're just going to go back to having the good, normal, ceremonial stuff that we have always had in sports. Teams are coming back to the White House. He holds up the jersey. Everybody waves. Everybody moves on with the day. Now, that is not inspiring. That is not. That, and I think there's an element of frustration that people have that that's all there is. But I do think that temperamentally, that's kind of who he is, right? He wants the president to be this kind of generally respected institution where teams go and celebrate their championships. And at some point, he'll throw out the first pitch at a game or something. And but has he thrown out a first pitch? He hasn't. He hasn't. But I, I mean, I would Has think, he dropped the first puck? He has not dropped the first puck. I don't. I has don't think, he served the first ball at the U.S. Open? For what it's worth, I do not think it's a good idea to get Joe Biden on ice skates. It's just, <laughs> well, just a my, general my point rule. Being is, <laughs> my point being, though, Willis, I hear you about getting back to normal, but yeah. you know what else is normal? Going to fucking sporting events. Yeah, yeah. That's part of being normal. And I don't just mean President Obama, who was very visual. 
you know, during NBA seasons and oftentimes sat courtside during WNBA games as well. Like, I don't mean you even have to go to that extreme, but damn, man, like (laughs) you're literally surrendering, in my opinion, the world of sports to the man you barely beat in 2020. And I know what the numbers suggest in terms of electoral count and popular vote. But if you really peel back the layers of what happened in Arizona, what happened in Georgia, these are thin margins of victory we're talking about here. And you've allowed Trump to take hold of an important part of Arizona and Georgia culture, which is sports. It's sports. And I'm sitting here and I'm like going... You're not like you don't know anything about sports. You clearly you do. And I get you have a lot going on. But if you are interested in protecting your majority during the midterm next year, if you're at all interested in running for re-election in 2024 or having Kamala come in and take your place or having someone else come in representing Democrats take your place, you can't continue to allow Donald Trump to erode the sports factor because the sports factor is what got you in the White House to begin with. I think that is a really key point. And listen, we all saw the more than a vote ads. We all saw the athletes getting involved. The subtext to every single one of those ads was vote for Joe Biden over Donald Trump. Like that, they didn't say because right. they didn't want to be out of officially, right, right. officially that way. But there's no question that like when LeBron is out there saying get out there and vote, he was not saying every vote counts. Please vote for maybe. <laughs> no. t- think hard who you should pick. It's like when an R and B singer says, "Come over here, girl, give me some of your love." He's not yeah. interested in love. He's talking about something else. <laughs> and and again, like I get it. He's busy, but also you have to do this part too. You have to do the shaking of the hands and the kissing of babies continuously. And this is part of it. And I get it. You may not even want to do it, but suck it up. (laughs) Do you think the first ladies always wanted to go out and kiss those damn babies for like Easter and stuff? No, but they sucked it up and they did what they needed to do to look as if they were the mother of America. Now he needs to suck it up and return to the presidency being the head jock of America. Because this country is more passionate about sports than probably anything outside of the Squid Game. And Squid Game, by the way, is also a sport. Just to put that out there. <laughs> I will give him this. It is worth knowing that one of the reasons that Trump was able to do a lot of sports stuff is he apparently was not that busy. <laughs> he was apparently not <laughs> he that was, busy. He actually did not have a lot of other things Remember to do. Remember when he said, I'm going to be so busy, there won't be any time for golf. Yes, executive time, executive time, executive time. I won't have any time for golf. Now, Trump did go to games, but he kind of adjusted as he went along. Remember, he was at the the Nationals World Series, and he got put on the Jumbotron and got booed lustily. We all had a good social media afternoon. It wasn't a good look. It wasn't a good look. He got booed like crazy. So, of course, Trump then went to go do the thing that he wants more than anything else, which is just to find as many people as possible to say nice things about him and how great he is, which is to say he started just going to college football games in the South. <laughs> he went to the Auburn-Alabama game, He and then he, I think he went to a UFC event where there were even a little booze there. But I think it is telling that Sure, Trump went to more sporting events, but what Trump really went to are places where he knew he was going to get applause. He absolutely did. But the fact is, is that he still went and got booed. He was willing to wade into those waters. Hmm. And I feel that Biden could very easily find a sporting event where he would be cheered. But more importantly, he isn't surrendering the entire ideal of sports to his opponent or would be opponent in 2024. And let's face it, he's probably going to run again. So... You're right, Will. He did not continue to go to places where he was booed. But why isn't Biden going to places where he would be cheered? And I will also add, when President Obama got into the White House, he sent the First Lady and Dr. Jill Biden to NASCAR to help promote things from his agenda. Now, they were booed, too. But the reality is, is that President Obama acknowledged the importance of sports, even sports who has a demographic that may not support him. He did not surrender all of that to the Republican Party. And I feel as if that's exactly what's happening right now during the Biden administration. There is a lot of sports uh, equity that is being wasted by him not really getting people to coalesce around him more and more, but rather sort of forget about it and letting Donald Trump occupy so much space despite him not being in the White House. All right, we need to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks sexual assault scandal, specifically what it's like to be a fan of a team that may have had an institutional-wide moral collapse. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When I was alone and I was afraid and I was scared, I didn't think I could turn to anyone. Even when it, this first came out, the Blackhawks denied it. They said they didn't, but they said they did an investigation. They said my claims were meritless. To me, I took that as them telling, saying to the world that I was a liar, that I was lying. All right, we're back, and you just heard from Kyle Beach, who is at the center of one of the biggest stories going right now, the Chicago Blackhawks sexual assault scandal. Beach was a first-round pick of the Blackhawks, who was assaulted by the team's video coach in 2010, which was the same year that the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. Beach actually never played in the NHL after that, something he has connected to the assault. A lot of Blackhawks fans found that championship glorious. It was the first title after years in the wilderness. And suddenly, now it feels tainted and soiled in many ways. Now, we're going to discuss how fans should feel when there are moral failings with the team that they cheer for, how they wrestle with them, whether they've happened in the past, how they should feel about them now, and perhaps how they can protect themselves and help these things not happen in the future. As a fan of a team, what's the disconnect between what the people involved with the team do in your fandom? You know, that is a great question because I think the initial sort of feeling that I have is that fans will forgive if you win, right? Hmm. Like if you finish <laughs> off the entire run and it ends in a championship, they'll forgive almost anything. It's when you don't win or when you suck and you're a bad person that we don't forgive, which I don't know if that's a reflection of the moral compass or wins and losses. Yeah, like, is, is John Gruden still have his job if the Raiders are undefeated? Exactly. <laughs> right? I mean, like, probably I think, not, but certainly he would have a bigger leg to stand. Well, I don't, I don't I, honestly, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know because, I mean, look what's happening right now with the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving, right? Now you have these people rallying around Kyrie who are anti-vaxxers or pro-choice or whatever, however you want to describe them, you know, rallying around this guy. And are they rallying around him because they believe in, you know, individual rights? Or do they just want the Nets to play better and they know they need him to do that? <laughs> right? Like... <laughs> Like, uh, like, I, is like, Ted Cruz a Nets fan? I'm not sure. I, I, think I, don't, I don't know if Ted Cruz. <laughs> apparently, he's a fan of the Nazi salute since the last time I saw him. There was a clip yeah. of him, you know, sort of defending an apparent right to use the Nazi salute That's by right. having a discussion about the First Amendment, That's which funny. is a really weird example to turn to when having a discussion about the First Amendment. It's a weird place to go first. It's a weird place, to go, place to go, Ted. <laughs> I don't want to tell you how to live your life, but Cancun and Nazi salutes are two places yeah. you should not go. Anyway, the point being is that. It's hard for me to tell if people are willing to sacrifice a lamb if that lamb is winning, if that is a championship lamb. And when it comes to Chicago's hockey team, the, the executives of the franchise felt it was better to keep quiet. But do you think fans would have turned their backs on that team as it heads towards a Stanley Cup run if they had this information beforehand? Yeah, I, that's a tough question. And you wonder, like, the Blackhawks championship was this huge breakthrough for this historically tortured franchise. And what I'm curious about is, like, now when you look back and you see what was going on, the joy that they had. I always think of this with the Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa thing. Now, I was less offended by steroids and PEDs than other people are. So maybe I'm not the best motion on this. But, like, 
Whatever your thoughts about that, that home run chase was fun. It was joyous. People loved it. People had a good time. Now, if you are now looking back at that and saying, oh, how foolish we are, fine. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is that like, hey, you are not Mark McGuire and you are not Sammy Sosa. You are just a sports fan that gets to enjoy all this cool sports stuff that's happening. And those are your experiences as opposed to the team's experiences. And so if you're a fan of the Chicago Blackhawks, you were there before the people who run the team got there. You will be there after they are there. You will outlast players. You will outlast executives. You may even outlast stadiums. That makes it something separate than the corporation or the executive or the front office of the team. And so I have a lot of friends that Chicago Blackhawks fans who aren't sure if they should enjoy their championship. Like they feel kind of gross about it now because this wonderful moment, all these great memories where they were with their friends and this franchise they rooted for forever finally got them a championship. Now it feels tainted. It feels like something that they should not be able to enjoy. And I feel like there's a middle line there. No matter who were the people responsible for getting them that championship, their experiences were theirs. They got to enjoy their thing. The other direction though, where you have to be careful is kind of what you're referring to, which is almost the Penn State-ism of the idea. Idea, oh, absolutely. Where like having your experience be separate from the moral experience is a very thin line between that and not only protecting a monster, but then trying to minimize what happened to make sure that your team continues to be good. I There's a thought of me that feels like, you know what, Penn State should not be allowed to win a football game for 50 years. Like, I've legitimately <laughs> had that thought a couple of times. I know Penn State fans have wrestled with that because they love Penn State football and they, they hate the Sandusky and repulsed by it. But I feel like they've not been punished enough. I feel like, and I, because part of the problem with Sandusky was he had the support of the community and he, and no one was going to question him or anything. Joe pa. Exactly. And so, Joe Paterno knew. And you get that from the fans. Like, right. fans are what allow that to happen. So it's a really kind of hard thing to balance, I think. It kind of reminds me of, you know, like Chris Brown or, or Michael Jackson, yeah. a really, really talented musician or artist whose work you've appreciated, they go out and they do something heinous or they're involved with something heinous or accused of being involved with something heinous. Now, personally, I tend to listen to Michael Jackson's music pre-Thriller because I feel (laughs) comfortable before Thriller, he wasn't involved in anything nefarious when it came to young people. Mm -hmm. After Thriller, I start feeling weird, especially once you get around like bad and like <laughs> that dangerous album. Yeah. That seems like that's when shit really went down and I shouldn't be listening to that music. Yeah. Or like Chris Brown, right? Like I have not listened to Chris Brown's music since the pictures of Rihanna showed up with her getting beaten by him as they were on their way to the Grammys. Like I just, I was just absolutely repulsed and it's hard for me to separate the music from that particular act. But and not everybody hard, has that discipline. Not everybody every, has that. Everyone does, and I don't always have that discipline myself. Yeah, yeah. Like I still laugh at the Cosby show. Bill Cosby himself is an incredible comedy special. But he's, a, he's, <laughs> he's an incredible comedian. <laughs> yeah. And he's also an evil man that yeah. raped a whole bunch of women. Yeah. And it's like, what do you do with that? You know, if you're a fan and you're just trying yeah. to enjoy your life and more important, you're just trying to hold on to the good memories, to your point, Will, that were connected to that individual before you knew what they were doing behind closed doors. It's really the big question at the time, right? I mean, listen, I grew up a huge Woody Allen fan. Like Woody Allen was someone that got oh, me right. into He's movies. Listen, I cannot extricate my enjoyment of Woody Allen movies and his contribution to my view on the world in a lot of ways from that person. But what I can do is no longer support it moving forward. So right. like I don't watch new movies. I like he's made a couple of new movies. I've never seen Allen movie is uh, probably deconstructing Harry. I think it's the best one, but more or maybe husbands and wives, but we'll start. That's not, that's not, I, I, I feel I'm like a guilty. Over Broadway person. Bullets I totally Broadway is great. Diane Weiss. Yeah. Don't speak. Don't, don't speak, speak. Don't speak. Don't speak. Sorry. So Boy, we're doing a great job of uh, showing how Whoa, much we've separated ourselves. See, this is what happens, monsters. Will. See, exactly, you start right? thinking about the good stuff, you forget uh, about the bad. But no, for nothing. But is like, that listen, the theme song to the facts of life, by the way? <laughs> we, we saw, I mean, listen, I remember after that Michael Jackson documentary, I thought, wow, no one is going to want to play his song. Like, it's it's awful to watch. And I thought, yes. no one's going to play his songs ever again. And I was at Madison Square Garden like a week later, and there was there was Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, right? And it's a great song, and people were really, really excited about that it. It is pre-thriller, like I said, though. It's don't true. Stop Till You Get Enough is pre-thriller. I, I don't know if the DJ was making your specific delineation there, <laughs> but yes. There's a part of me that feels like it's actually a little easier in sports. It's a little easier because, again, your fandom of the Dodgers and the Tigers is separate 
separate from the people who run the Tigers and the Dodgers. They will be gone someday. Michael Jackson's music will never be disconnected from Michael Jackson the person because you can't make that separation. If I watch the Cardinals win a game, I'm not like, wow, I'm so personally happy for Jack Flaherty right now. I'm happy for me. I'm happy for my son. I'm happy for my dad. I'm happy for my history of being a Cardinals fan. That is separate from the people who play. I'm not happy for John Mozalak. I'm not happy for the ownership group. I'm happy for this amorphous thing that has involved my life of being a Cardinals fan. And I feel like Blackhawks fans can do that. You can say, yes, this was a horrible, horrible thing. And I feel like it's partly my responsibility to make sure that this is not something I'm, I I can ever be a part of again. But I didn't know about that then. And that championship made me happy. I don't think I need to separate myself from that, be ashamed of it. It's all about moving what happens moving forward rather than constantly kicking yourself about things that happen later. You sound like the husband whose wife's been cheating on him for the past five years, so you always go back to your honeymoon night to feel better. Why are people always saying that to me about every topic I ever talk about? Hmm, that's a little worrisome. Where's your wife right now? (laughs) Kobe Bryant gets up off the bench. Here he comes. Put your shirt tail in, son. And he kneels down, can't come in yet. We're going to have uh, new guards for the Lakers. And it's time for my favorite segment this week in sports history. And this particular date, Will, is really exciting for me as a Kobe fan because November 3rd, 1996, Kobe Bean Bryant made his NBA debut. Would you like to hear the stat line, my friend? I would love to hear it. All righty. Zero points. One rebound. He's never going to make it. One block shot. Cut him. One turnover. What the? What? Get this guy off the court. One foul. Okay, well, the foul's okay. I got no problem with the foul. Minnesota Timberwolves. And while he obviously turned out to be much better than his opening game debut, um, this isn't really the point of the conversation we're going to have. Because Kobe Bean Bryant was part of the great class of 1996, and he was the 13th pick in that draft. But when you go back and you look at some of the players who were drafted ahead of him, Iverson, Starberry, Ray Allen, Antoine Walker. We're talking about some really, really incredible players who were drafted ahead of him. And a lot of people will compare this class to Michael Jordan's class of 1984. And I say Michael Jordan's class, even though he was the third pick, the number one pick was Akeem Olajuwon, who later became Hakeem Olajuwon. But a lot of people compare the class of 1996 to the class of 1984. I'm not going to ask you who had the better players. I think that's a ridiculous conversation to have considering the differences in eras. But my bigger question to you is, which class had the largest impact culturally? I mean, the... Easy, I think, kind of default, and I would argue incorrect answer, is to say Jordan, right? Like, it's Michael Jordan. He put together the structure for the entire NBA moving forward. You were either like Mike or you were not like Mike in kind of defiant ways. (laughs) And so the argument for the 84 class, nothing against Akeem Olajuwon's cultural import. Who Listen, I love Akeem Olajuwon, but clearly that's the Jordan class. And I guess to a lesser extent, Barkley. But Jordan set the template that even future athletes like some of the people in that class would either follow or veer from. So that would be my argument for Jordan. I hear what you're saying. And I think for certain, Michael Jordan impact economically on the NBA is second to none. Like, there's no question about that. And clearly, you know, for a lot of people, he's the GOAT. Depending upon what day of the week you ask me, I think he's the GOAT as well. But from a non-basketball perspective and a non-economic perspective, I start thinking about where we are today, where black athletes are today. And I go, huh, Jordan kind of ushered in the era of the apolitical athlete as well, which is a 180 from where we are today. Right. And while Kobe wasn't, you know, Malcolm X out there in the streets and Iverson wasn't Dr. King, they did represent a certain blackness, an unapologetic blackness. And I would add Stefan Marbury's name to that, Antoine Walker, for sure. There was a flavor of hip hop and blackness in the NBA that had a political edge to it, not because they were embracing politics, but because their presence and the way that they present themselves was political for a lot of people. 
and threatening for a lot of people. Let's not forget that uh, Allen Iverson was on the cover of Slam magazine and they airbrushed out his tattoos. Like it is remarkable to me that you would want to sell Allen Iverson, but then be like, yeah, but we have to cover up the tattoos. <laughs> like that is a period of NBA history. That's a transition period, right? Like that's him yeah. coming right at that pivot period where that would never happen before. Then Iverson would never be on the cover of that magazine before. And they would not cover up the tattoos of a star on, the, on that afterward. To me, that's a great argument for Iverson in that whole class. Kobe, obviously, with everything that he has, but Iverson, to me, really feels like a pivot figure in a lot of ways because of that. You can make the argument that it was Iverson's class and Iverson in particular that sort of ushered in the dress code. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we can't have these athletes and oversized jeans and Timberlands, <laughs> what would our corporate sponsors think? Oh, I don't know that they're in their 20s and they're urban and, they're and that's just a big part of hip-hop culture and yeah. hip-hop's the number one music in the world. So, of course, they will look like hip-hop artists. No, we don't do that. No, we try to tell these athletes you need to wear three-piece suits before you show up to a basketball game. What the hell? But that was Iverson, too. Obviously, people revered Kobe. Yes. But there is a way that I think athletes now talk about Iverson, they kind of understand what he went through. Yeah, There's a straight line you can draw between the Iverson tattoo thing and the Malice of the Palace and the reaction to it, right? And listen, maybe this is why the NBA is getting so much backlash now, because now we've gone through that, right? Now, those executives that would have got offended by Allen Iverson's tattoos, now they're, uh, well, I guess now the ones that they're yelling about the NBA's Walt culture. But you know what's the trip, though? They were all fine and dandy, with Iverson being Mr. Hip Hop and Chris Webber wearing gold chains. And they were all excited to embrace blackness, unapologetic blackness and hip hop when he was bringing in the dollars. It was only after the malice at the palace that all of a sudden now they're like going, oh, we're too black now. We really pull that back. Well, first of all, the malice at the palace wasn't about hip hop or blackness. It was about respect as a man. That's what that was about. Fans were disrespecting those players as men, as human beings. It wasn't about race per se, and it wasn't about culture per se. It was about don't disrespect these men. They're not things. You don't own them. They're people. And the fight happened because a fan threw, you know, coke on Ron Artest. And Ron Artest was like, are you effing kidding me? So that's one aspect of it. But then there's also the fact that When they brought in this dress code conversation, Will, one of the people that they brought in to discuss the best way to make the NBA more palatable to middle America, i.e. white people, they brought in a Republican strategist. And it was dialogues with this Republican strategist that led to the dress code. Mm -hmm. So not only did they embrace hip hop when it was monetarily satisfactory for them and then rejected it after the malice of the palace. Then they went and embraced Republicanism, if you will. I don't know if that's really a word and I just made that up Mm. in order to overcorrect the overcorrection, if you will. And so when I think about Iverson and I think about Starberry and I think about all these players from 96, all of this political conversations that we're having, a lot of that stemmed from that class. And when I think about Jordan's class, a lot of the non-politics that happened stems from his class. I think we're going in the right direction on this, I will say. You know, Will, we had this conversation about the Chicago hockey team and their handling of the situation with the sexual assault allegations during their Stanley Cup run. And it's hard to have these conversations and not reflect back on how the Lakers and the NBA handled Kobe Bryant when he was handling the situation in Denver. And I will admit that it was really difficult for me to look at Kobe in the same way after the allegations, even though, you know, obviously he didn't go to jail for it, even though there are, you know, a lot of fans feel about it in a variety of different ways. He wasn't convicted. He didn't go to jail for it. And that's kind of how they cleanse it. But for me, it wasn't still that cut and dry. It took me a few years, actually, to kind of not see him solely as someone connected to those allegations, but to see him as Kobe Bryant as I saw him before those allegations. And I thought it was telling in his death that even bringing it up was considered somewhat uncouth by people uh, at times. I think that that was kind of how much people had adjusted to that. They adjusted to the fact that uh, if you mentioned that part, which is obviously a big part of his life and a big part of his career and a big part of his story, uh, people didn't want to hear about it. And they still don't. No, they still do not. I still get 
people are yelling at me for the time I wrote about that. It's been two years, more two and a half years. Man, that was right before, because it was right before the pandemic. Right. All right, before we get out of here, let's move on to our games of the week. LZ, what do you got for me? Ooh, my buddy Will. My beloved Rams just traded for Von Miller. The yeah. first game is on Sunday against the Tennessee Titans, who just lost Derrick Henry. They're running back for the year. Hopefully, Von Miller makes his appearance on Sunday. I want to see our three-headed defensive monster. I'm so excited for this game on Sunday. That is my game of the week, Rams versus Titans. As an Arizona Cardinals fan, I don't know exactly how I feel about that, but I'll let you have that one. My big thing is... I love college basketball. I know that college basketball has kind of got kind of a, a bad rep for a lot of good reasons over the last few years, but I grew up in Illinois fighting a Illini fan. I'm still suffering from what happened during the tournament last year. Sister Jean knows what she did. I've, I've worked to forgive her, but I will always know that she'll have to live with it. Let it go. <laughs> never, Let never. Go. But Illinois, is, it should be in the top 10 this year. They play against Jackson State on opening night. I'm excited to watch my Illini and I have season tickets to Georgia basketball. The only person that cares about Georgia basketball in this entire state, but they are playing Florida international college basketball. Opening day is on November 9th. I cannot wait to watch some college basketball. Will the Georgia basketball team is called the Hawks. They're called, <laughs> I know. Believe you me, they're a lot more fun. This is the last year for Tom Crean, I think. So uh, uh, pour one out for it. Also, Anthony Edwards. I, I know people look at Anthony Edwards like, wow, he's so fun. He was not fun here at all. He was like, it's like <laughs> he had to escape here to become fun. So, uh, but I'm ready to watch some college basketball. I'm always happy to have that back. And that's our show for this week. Our first show, Will. We did it. How does it feel to be deflowered? <laughs> Purifying and yet scary. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Make sure you subscribe to us on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back next week for a breakdown of all things sports and culture. Maybe President Biden will show up to a game by then. I know I will. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.